0: read that together. It's on page 544 in the Book of Praise. Speaking of Lord's Supper, in combination with some of the Lord's days around at 28 and 30 as well, here we as church confess, are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread and the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood, as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ first Corinthians chapter 10 makes one real clear point. that is what we do on earth is connected to spiritual realities that we cannot see for example right at the beginning of this chapter the Holy Spirit directs our attention to our forefathers our fathers who were under the cloud, and who passed through the sea. Chapter 10, verse 1. The Israelites could see with their eyes a cloud that led them through the wilderness. Their feet touched the dry ground as they really walked through the Red Sea with their Egyptian enemies close behind them. But then when Paul writes about this concrete physical activity on earth, he is describing the spiritual reality behind it all. He says they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. By the grace of God, the whole people of Israel passed through the sea and away from the armies, away from certain death, and in this way, the covenant people were distinguished from the rest of the world. You see, more was happening than just a physical, very memorable escape from a bad enemy. Through the physical experience that God had given them in the past, He gave them also the sign that He was their covenant God. You could see also in chapter 10, and it's good to have. Bible open in verse 4, again we can see that God provided for them in this covenantal relationship. He says that the people of God all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Again we see that these earthly physical activities of, of eating manna that God sent from heaven and drinking that water that came spilling out of the rock, these activities had a spiritual reality behind them. Paul connects the provision, the care, to Jesus Christ by showing the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, that every little thing that they received came to them from God. It came to them in anticipation of of the same Christ that we celebrate today. Really, in the end, it was Christ who was accompanying the people of God in the wilderness while they were partaking of manna and water from the rock. The people were partaking of Christ's mercy to them already there before Christ was born. There was a spiritual reality behind the physical feeding And we see the same thing in Lord's Supper, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. In the Lord's Supper, we participate in Christ's body and blood. That's where Paul is is getting to in 1 Corinthians 10. And in this sacrament, then, we see our true union with Christ himself in the first place. In the second place, we see our, our complete separation from demons And in the third place, we see our eternal fellowship with other believers. The Holy Spirit urges believers to recognize the connection between the physical signs and seals that God has given to us and the spiritual reality behind them. He says that in verse 16. He says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit is speaking in terms of sacrifices as you can see in verse 18. He's talking, he's thinking about what the Old Testament teaches us about sacrifices. When everybody, would first, they would first offer the animal, the sacrifice, and then they would partake, they would have a meal, a fellowship meal, in which the, the blood, The sacrifice, the results of the sacrifice would be applied to them. They showed that they believed in the sacrifice by partaking of the meal. They participated in the sacrifice by eating and drinking. They were showing that they believed the message so they could share in the spiritual benefits of the sacrifice. In the same way, we can think of Lord's Supper. We can look through the symbols of of bread and wine. And we can know that the act of eating the bread and wine is is an expression of our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our real participation in his body and blood. We believe that what he did has benefits for us. That's what the eating of the bread and wine is. And when you look through through the bread and wine, to the spiritual reality of participating in Christ's body, then you avoid the errors of either overemphasizing the bread and wine, or diminishing the value of the sacraments. On the one side, there are those who, who, whose eyes never get past the, the physical things, the, the bread and the wine. They teach that in some mysterious way, the grace is contained in the sacrament. And so when the bread is blessed by a priest, they believe that it is actually changed into Christ's human body, and so it is possible to have real physical union with Christ by eating this bread that had been blessed. It turned into body, so there's a physical union with Christ's body. Now when we look to our, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 26 verse 26 to 29, we can see that such a teaching of the significance and the function of the sacrament is different than what our Lord Jesus teaches us. There at the Last Supper, Jesus Christ in the flesh, fully alive still, standing before them, he told his disciples, he told his disciples to, or in that case, he, he called a piece of bread his body, and the fruit of his vine, the fruit of the vine, his blood, and then there still fully alive before them, he told his disciples to drink it. So how could they obey Christ? How could they eat his body and drink his blood if he was still alive? Clearly, Christ was introducing visible signs and seals for the strengthening of believers in his absence until he would come again. He wanted his church of all ages to to take that bread and to take that wine and to look through them and to see how that brings them into fellowship, into union with Christ in a spiritual way. Not Not a physical way of bread intermingling with with our with our insides and our stomach but in a spiritual way it was signified by the signs and the catechism says that quite clearly it says in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments says let's remember that we're dealing with with signs and seals and then on the other side of us and probably in reaction to the Roman Catholic teaching that the bread turns into the body of Christ. There are those who belittle the sacraments so much that they say the eating and drinking uh, of the, the bread and the wine, the act of communion, it doesn't have anything to do with our spiritual union to Christ. Such people then they completely separate the Lord's Supper from the Old Testament sacrifices and meals And perhaps unknowingly suggests that it is strictly, or or perhaps again the word only, a memorial meal in which Christ, in which people remember Christ's death on the cross as a historical event. So on the one hand you have the group that say there's physical union with Christ as soon as you eat the bread. It happens within us. And others say, don't worry too much about the bread and wine. All we're doing is remembering what happened in the past. And since for such people the Lord's Supper doesn't really say anything about our union with Christ, it doesn't matter to them who participates in the bread and the wine. It doesn't matter who eats the bread or who drinks The wine. Anyone can remember, right? Can we really say to someone, no, you can't remember Christ's sacrifice? We have seen that such confused people, sometimes even in our own churches, they get critical of churches that supervise the Lord's Supper. If the meal is only about remembering, why should I prevent someone from joining in? And the answer is that if it really was only about remembering, we would agree. But thanks be to God, Lord's Supper is much more than that. Although there's no doubt that remembering is an important part of the celebration, we look back. Scripture does not allow us to to think that this is the only way that the Lord's Supper helps us. The ironic thing, I think it's ironic, is is that although such people are are using words by saying we're more Christ-like or we're more loving by letting anyone participate because they call the Lord's Supper a memorial meal, they actually are denying the fullness of Christ's person and work. They're denying our full and true union with Christ. The Lord's Supper just becomes a memorial meal. They do not treat Christ's body with respect and easily can fall in the danger of lying about the spiritual state of those who eat the, drink, or eat the bread and drink the wine. You see, Scripture tells us that it's more than a memorial meal. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10. We read that already several times. When we eat the bread... And we drink the wine, that is, in the act of eating, we participate in Christ's body and blood. It's much more than just remembering about something that happened in the past. Christ wants us to receive the benefit from the sacrament. And when we eat the bread, when we drink the wine, something is happening, for we are truly being joined to Christ, our head, through the act of eating. The connection is made. To eat the bread and drink the cup is to participate in Christ's body and blood. To join ourselves to his person, to his work by faith. In this way, the bride of Christ can identify herself with Christ. We can see ourselves in him, united to him. We can recognize and, and proclaim with great joy, as, even as we're eating, that, that he has obeyed for us. We're a part of who He is. He has paid for our sins. We have eternal life in His life. Our joy is, or His joy is our joy in the Lord's Supper. Christ directs our faith and trust to His perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross, for He has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink. To life eternal. And we have communion with Christ Jesus himself. Powerful words. The heavens are open. And our true union with Christ our head. Is visible to those who see through the bread and the wine. They they lift their hearts on high to where Christ our advocate is seated. Because of this, if we are participating in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, we do not have to doubt that we are being nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and with his blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. The Israelites, after the sacrifice, participating in the meal, they knew that the sacrifice was for them, that they receive the benefits. It's a, it's a glorious declaration of how Christ's work is applied to our lives. It's a powerful declaration of who we are in Christ Jesus and also of who we are not. You see, our complete separation from demons. As people belonging to the covenant, All of Israel was able to partake in the rich protection and the sustenance of God who was feeding them in the desert. But Paul explains, and we turn our eyes back to 1 Corinthians 10, Paul explains that just because God showed them this mercy, just because they tasted and saw that the Lord was good, it does not mean that everyone in the wilderness was saved. Look at verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And then the list continues. You see in verse 6, many people turned away from the Lord to set their hearts on evil things. As you think about all that the Holy Spirit lists as examples and warnings for us, you have to see in each of these examples that something very physical was taking place. It's not just describing things in the past, it's describing sins, physical things that we are in danger of committing as well today. The Israelites made a calf image. and They worshipped it like pagan people worship their statues. Verse 7, they sat down to eat and drink and got up. To to play, and you can see in some versions, to indulge in pagan revelry. It's speaking of this this idolatry. We also read that they saw women with their eyes. They were enticed by what they saw, verse 8. They were led to commit adultery with these women and to worship their gods. Then as they were traveling around Mount Hor in a detour around Edom, this is referenced at verse 9, Then the people tested the Lord in their impatience. They were dissatisfied with their food. They questioned God's integrity. And finally, we see in verse 10, they grumbled against the Lord's righteous judgment. They accused him of being too harsh. Those are very physical, very common things that we continue to struggle against. Grumbling, discontentment, immorality, Lust, physical, visible sins, revealing a spiritual reality in our hearts. Turning their back on God, we read in verse 14, they became idolaters. Paul says that when they showed themselves to be worldly, immoral grumblers, they were taking the side of the demons. They were identifying themselves with the evil one, Rather than with Christ. And these things were recorded so that you today, sitting here in Emmanuel congregation in, in, in Edmonton, that you may be warned. You will be tempted in a most severe way, it will be difficult. And then we see in verse 12 the gracious warning, warning therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful that you do not join yourselves to the evil one, for you cannot be joined to demons and to Christ. Again, Paul wants us to think about the spiritual realities behind the physical things we are doing. You can say, oh, I was just doing this, or I was just thinking that, or I was just looking at that. Paul says, now think about what you're really saying. Think about the spiritual realities. Verse 15, he says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Yes, it is true that it is physically possible to deceive your elder, the elders, to hide a secret life of adultery, pornography, to turn away from God and to embrace the, the idols of this world in a materialistic life. And then to show up Sunday morning to receive the bread and wine of the sacraments. It's physically possible for a hypocrite to take the bread and the wine of the, sacrifice, uh, of the sacraments. But, says Paul, I am speaking to sensible people. Is it spiritually possible? Or are you fooling yourself? The Lord requires your whole life as a sacrifice of of thankfulness. How can you share in Christ's work by faith? Says the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 10, if you don't have faith in Christ. How can you participate in Christ's body and blood if you unite yourselves to demons, if you eat from the platter of the evil one? Once again, the Bible is very clear. Your commitment to Jesus Christ, symbolized and sealed in the sacrament of Lord's Supper, it's an exclusive commitment Or it is no commitment at all. Paul is is very clear and, and we hear it very clearly. You cannot flitter and flutter between Christianity and worldly living. You cannot live in two worlds. You cannot be a believer and an unbeliever at the same time. Verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You will not receive the benefit of Christ's work and sacrifice if your heart is devoted to idolatry, to revelry, and to adultery. It's not enough just to be here physically if you do not love Jesus Christ in your heart. And then we have to pay attention to the examples that Paul gives. He gives that to warn us. He gives us to warn us what we need to to be careful for, where we tend to fall. He wants us to be aware of those things that draw us away from, from humble, believing union with Christ. The way is open for communal participation in Jesus Christ. He is there. He is the Savior. There is life in Him. But it is an exclusive way. It involves dying, dying to sin with Christ and being raised to walk in newness of life. And that's the reason that the office bearers in the church, they exercise discipline against idolaters. The Lord also calls us to assure that to the best of our ability, The table of the Lord is a reflection of the truth. We need to know that if we are participating at the table of the Lord with sincere hearts and recognizing him as Lord, that this is a true declaration of a real fact, a spiritual reality. And so the elders of the Church of Christ, they make it very clear for the sinners that if he or she does not repent of their sins, does not in brokenness cling to Christ as their only hope and comfort, the elders have to tell them that they simply do not have fellowship with Christ Jesus. Their fellowship is with demons. And so they cannot participate in the Lord's Supper. That's the power, the message of discipline. If the office bearers say that you cannot participate in the Lord's Supper because of your sins, not not just because they, they don't know who you are as a visitor, it's a different case. But if the office bearers say you cannot participate in the Lord's Supper because of your sins, you truly and really are living apart from Christ, apart from his benefits. That sacrifice is, is not connected to you. You need to repent. You cannot have union with demons and at the same time have union with Christ. You know it's not right to show hatred or celebrate immorality while sitting or while participating in, in the Lord's supper celebration. The two don't go together. The body of Christ is united to her head. That's an exclusive relationship. And so brothers and sisters, once again, the, the Holy Spirit urges us to think about the physical things that we are doing here on the earth. To, to see the spiritual realities behind them. To confess those sins of, in humble repentance and dependence on Christ Jesus. And to be sure that you commit and submit your life to your only Savior, Jesus Christ. And so receive your share of the loaf and the wine with thanksgiving, together with other undeserving repentant sinners around you. You see that? You see also our eternal fellowship with other Christians You see, while Paul is explaining the real union that believers have with Jesus Christ, an exclusive relationship, it brings benefit to our life, as this is also signified and sealed to us through the visible elements of bread and wine, then Paul says you participate in Christ's body. And when he uses the word body here, he speaks of Christ's sacrifice in the first place. But it also reminds Paul of a different imagery, a different example that the Holy Spirit uses when he calls all believers in the church different parts of the body of Christ. We participate in Christ's body, his sacrifice, but we participate as the body of of Christ, And that brings Paul to explain the fellowship of all those who are united by the Spirit in the unity of true faith. And then we see it takes more than a building, or it takes more than just family relationships to join us together in this place. Once again, you look around, you see physical things, you see a group of people in one place, professing their faith in the Lord and singing him one together. We see this physical reality. Behind that is the spiritual reality of the work of the Holy Spirit who is uniting us together. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The fact that everyone takes a piece of the same bread reflects the spiritual reality that you are united to other believers. The, the, The point is you are not the only one in the world who has union with Christ. As we are fed by Christ Jesus, we are able to look around to those around us and we're able to see other people who are on the same path. Other people who have been forgiven by the grace of God in Christ Jesus who are individually members of the same body. It's a joyous thing to see. We gather together around the same sacrifice. We are lifted into the presence of Christ together as a a guarantee of what eternity will look like. Paul's imagery comparison in 1 Corinthians 10 is brought even further in the explanation of Lord's Supper when we say, as one bread is baked out of many grains and one wine is pressed out of many grapes, so we all incorporated in Christ by faith are together one body. It's a very old declaration that the church has been saying for centuries. The basis of our unity is then our faith in Christ Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the church gathering work of Jesus Christ, our King. If somebody says, what are you doing here today? How did you get here today? You will say, it's, it's God who's working by his Spirit in our lives. We do not decide who gets to come in or who gets to stay out of the church of Jesus Christ. We do not decide who may sit at the table of our Lord like like a child deciding which friends will sit beside him on his next field trip. But Christ does this. Christ does it when he works faith in our hearts and and gathers us together. Everyone who has faith in Christ belongs together as one body. And the unity of true faith binds us together for. Eternity. You see the order? First, we as individuals, recognizing our sins and humbling ourselves before the Lord, we, we look to our only Savior, Jesus Christ, and we cling to Him in faith. And as we're clinging and embracing our Savior, we look around and we see many people embracing our Savior. Then we could see who is there beside us. So, we don't participate in the Lord's Supper to make a statement about our unity with all sorts of people, but because we have faith in Jesus Christ and we need to be nourished in our souls unto eternal life, we come together in Him and then we see what God has done. It's actually a kind of an embarrassing way to meet. Other people, we come to the table of the Lord. It's not in our strength. It's in our most, the weakest point of our lives. We're at our weakest. We're the most vulnerable. It's there where we're standing saying, Lord, I have nothing in myself to offer you. I need Jesus Christ every moment of my life. There we are in our most naked and most, useless on our own state, our most vulnerable state. We're looking up to God and that's when we meet other believers around us in the same situation. That's why the unity is so strong. We could see others who have been gathered together by Christ who so exceedingly loved us first And now, we who have been saved by Christ in our weakness as well, we right away see our obligation to those around us. Not just to speak to them, but also to show our love to them. Not just in word, but also in deed. And there we are, we're all weak, and we're all dependent on Christ. We all need each other, we need to be a safe place. There's no other place where you can be vulnerable together and yet so safe as you are with the group of people you will spend eternity with because of Christ's work, the beauty of the fellowship, the communion of saints. So as we read 1 Corinthians 10 and as we think about the sacrament of Lord's Supper the Holy Spirit is showing us to think exactly about what it means to share, to participate in Christ's body and blood. When you see the signs of bread and wine, or even if you're, even if you're watching the sacrament because you have not yet publicly professed your faith, the, the declaration of those symbols, bread and wine, it, it's very clear. Don't just cling to the outward symbols. See through them. See the, the spiritual reality to which they are pointing. See how by the grace of God you are joined to Jesus Christ. You are part of his body. And Then recognizing what you really have. The blessed union with Christ. By his grace. Then all this stuff around us doesn't look nearly as attractive. We can recognize the plate of Demons that leads to death. With our eyes looking to Christ, we have that good strength that sustains us every day. Wake up in the morning, start your day saying, I am truly joined to Christ Jesus, the eternal King, part of his body, together with others, a share In everything that he has gained. Just as surely as I see the bread and the wine. The Lord's Supper is exclusive communion with Christ our head. In blessed communion with other believers. Amen. Now respond singing hymn 61. Standing, if you're able to stand. Hymn 61.